when I use the term populist, and this is not about Danielle Smith, this was done actually before she won. Um, what image does it conjure up for you? For my next guest, it is a way of speaking about politics that pits people against each other by framing us as the true people and them as the elites who control everything. It is an interesting conversation because it is happening around the world. My next guest says they are closely watching this now familiar pattern uh, as establishment types write off the populists as ill-prepared, even as those same people eliminate rivals, establish a base of true believers, win elections. Every populist politician seems unelectable until their political savvy pays off on election day. And my next guest says we're seeing this in places such as the United States, Britain, Brazil, Hungary, the Philippines, and elsewhere. So joining me now is Daniel Drake. He's a professor emeritus of political science at York University and the co-author of the new book, Has Populism Won? The War on Liberal Democracy. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Yes, it's a really big time. In the last three weeks, we've seen uh, many more uh, changes and populist victories in uh, Sweden, where the far right is now part of the coalition, part of the largest uh, party. We've seen also in Italy uh, this extraordinary uh, win for the far right. In Canada, Polyev, they signed up 350,000 new members and captured, uh, really it's taken over the Conservative Party of Canada. Um, So there's a lot more happening in Brazil where uh, Bolsonaro looked like he was heading for defeat. It's not the case. He did much better than uh, what was predicted. So there's a lot of changes. Yeah. What I find interesting is that even in those four names are such different circumstances and styles. And, you know, while there seems to be a thread, where do you how do you define populism when it comes to these these sort of disparate yet somewhat similar movements that are happening in countries around the world? Well, of course, one thing that has to be said right away is there's no template. Uh, Populism is about grievance and anger. The common thread is grievance and anger and uh, hate speech and uh, the big lie in different contexts. And the idea is that uh, the uh, big dogs are gobbling up uh, society's fair share and that uh, people see their their resources, their income, their, their, their lies as controlled by, quote, evil elites. So that's the common thread. And it takes, of course, different uh, different uh, shapes and forms and articulations in every society. Like what happens in the UK and what happens in India is very different because the context is so diverse. You've pointed out, though, that there is there is truth to the anger. The anger is coming from somewhere, the political um exploitation, or at least the political, the ability of politicians to harness that anger is perhaps new, or at least the way it's it's been put into uh, practice. But the anger is real, and, and there is a reason for that. And, and you do think there is reason for grievance uh, there as well. Well, I think there are, uh, first, experts are not clear. Some people about what, uh, what the primary trigger is. Many people say inequality, growing inequality from neoliberal Liberalism, deregulation, privatization over the last three decades is really has created this reserve army of angry, grievance-focused voters, and that trust in political party has hit 
rock bottom lows in many countries. So that's one explanation. A different explanation is um, identity politics, which focuses on uh, immigrants, uh, racial minorities, uh, and that uh, this ethnic-centered uh, politics has changed uh, changed the political culture across the globe. Because yeah. uh, so that's that's really a, a big change. Because remember, liberal democracy is based on tolerance, compromise, and uh, and uh, adjustment of difference. So and yeah, and trust in institutions as well, right? Fundamentally, the the tr trust in the institutions that govern the country. But uh, what we see from the populace, and that's why there's such a threat. First, liberal democracy has never had to contend with the mass psychology of anger as a, as a political force since uh, the 1930s. Remember, we when we think back, fascism was uh, defeated, crushed. Uh, in uh, Germany and Italy and Japan. But what we have seen is this combination of populism, authoritarianism, uh, a very vicious kind of uh, uh, nationalism, which says, uh, which says uh, policies should, I, all policies should be reduced to some sort of transactional logic. What's good for me? But uh, if there are losers, that's not my concern. When you look at it, though, one of the things that I always get concerned of is you don't want to lump everyone. I mean, how do you separate the, you know, the malignant, the malevolent from the benevolent? How do you separate the good from the bad? Because there are obviously political leaders out there who represent a vein of anger within their population, but also have good ideas. And there's others that are that that don't. So how do you how do you split the two? Well, I think what is one thing that is very different Ben, is that when you look at uh, Latin America in the uh, <clears throat> 20 years ago, you had uh, populism was tied to uh, social justice movements and redistribution. The idea was that uh, hyper-globalization had created such enormous inequality that reforms were needed, which were uh, opposed by elites and by international uh, governance uh, institutions like the IMF and the, and, the, and the World Bank. So you saw a whole series, you know, the classic is uh, in the earlier period, of course, was Castro, but you also had in Argentina, uh, sorry, in uh, Venezuela, right. uh, that uh, where oil wealth was used uh, by the Venezuelans to build solidarity movements throughout uh, Latin America, however controversial we think of them. But today, when we, we looked at uh, 34 governments that have been elected as populist, and, um, you know, you, it's a very interesting question about uh, how, do you, how do you separate, how do you distinguish? Well, the three common features that we have in all of the 34 governments that have been elected by over a half a billion voters were uh, angry, uh, grievance-seeking publics, uh, attacking elites and institutions. Second, social media activists, which have become a, 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 an independent, powerful uh, force of agency and the authoritarian leaders. So, so this, this is a very different set of circumstance 
than the uh, earlier uh, examples of populism in Latin America or even in Europe. Daniel, when you look at what could be done, I mean, you clearly the release timing of this book, the message of this book is that we should be concerned about this attack on institutions. Um, What needs to be done then to both recognize the anger that exists, um, perhaps find solutions that would appease that anger and uh, reinforce the institutions that you think we need to reinforce? Well, these are uh, very, very tough questions. Uh, at the present time, because we thought about a number of uh, how are we going to get out of this? How are the populists going to be towed out to sea and liberal democracy restored? So uh, we we started by in thinking about this is saying, well, what do we learn? What 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 makes it such an embedded or intransigent problem today? Well, a couple of reasons are that. Um, Many parties use the big lie and hate speech and win elections uh, by, by their use. So they're very important for um, uh, retail politics. Secondly, they have upended the left-right spectrum. So if you think across Europe and across the world, the uh, left social democratic socialist parties, uh, the left side of the political spectrum is much diminished and weakened. So it's difficult to see where agency uh, resides, uh, where it's going to come from. How is there going to be some sort of broader coalition to challenge uh, the uh, populace? Uh, and uh, finally, um, the um, many countries uh, today look towards sovereignty and a belief in foreign policy of every country for itself and see much less value in uh, international cooperation and multilateralism. So when we step back and think about where this leads us, the intermediate position is that there is a kind of darkness at noon, a kind of pessimism, global pessimism. This phrase, darkness at noon, came from... Arthur Kessler's book with the same same title. Mm -hmm. And what he talked about was the disillusionment and the collapse of uh, Soviet communism in the 50s. But today we see a legitimacy crisis in liberal democracy, which many peoples are frustrated, flummoxed uh, in terms of the possibilities of reform. So that brings us to the second part of the question about are there scenarios? So our answer in the book is um, in what we say is that one option would be to see a broad coalitions of civil society actors and um, liberals and democratic uh, social democrats working together and, um, and trying to uh, basically use their combined strength to create a democratic dam or a democratic wall that would uh, contain uh, 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 this, this um, toxic form of uh, populist, populism and, and challenge the true believer as the, uh, the, the modern voter who has become a kind of true believer of the um, uh, 
populist uh, uh, world view. So we saw this tried in uh, Hungary under Orban in the, just a couple of months ago, and it didn't work. It, one of the problems is that uh, political groups in societies like liberals and New Democrats, um, they have a great deal of trouble forming these broader coalitions. And that I, I think it is a fair comment to say that the populist right is united. And it would seem for the foreseeable future that uh, liberal democracy is at a turning point where there isn't really a viable opposition movement strong enough to defeat populism at the polls. So that's one scenario, Ben. Yeah. Daniel Drake, Professor Emeritus of Political Science at York University, co-author of Has Populism Won the War on Liberal Democracy? One of the difficult things about defining what populism is, is that you look at different forms of it around the world and you think, okay, countries put, you know, leaders putting their countries first, appealing to, the, to a certain nationalism within the country. That feels like it's been done a lot. Uh, people who feel disillusioned by sort of, you know, liberal democracies and elite stuff. Yeah, no, I can get that too. Where I draw the line is where leaders try to burn things down. They take the structures of their society that work fairly well or maybe need some fixing, and then they destroy all of them or try to destroy all of them, basically rewrite the rules in their own favor, and not always with much consideration for uh, those they're pretending to champion. And certainly, you know, it's more about defeating the other side than it is about actually giving your side anything that they actually need. That's where I get a bit on the populism front. That's where I start to draw the line. 